My wife and I just returned from a two-week-plus trip to western New York to visit our daughter and to also um, visit friends and family and, and all. It was a good time. Well, in our trip, we went through Missouri, Illinois, uh, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas. And there may have been another state or two in there someplace. But one thing that it was easy to see as we were traveling was that it was harvest time. Now, in Matthew 9, Jesus is talking about something completely different when he says that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Well, times have changed since I was young in western New York because back then people actually picked the grapes by hand. Uh, I remember going with my mother when I was really young before I went to school, and they had these wooden crates, and then they got bigger plastic crates. Uh, but now they have grape pickers, a machine that straddles the, the row and uh, just kind of knocks the grapes off. And So they don't need as many workers. Now, most of the apples were already harvested, but we saw acres and acres and acres of corn and soybeans that were being harvested or ready to be harvested, uh, especially in the Midwest. There's places where you could not see the end of the field. It was just went on forever, it seemed like. And there was few fields that would be lying empty with nothing in them, just kind of growing up to brush. Because if there was land, there were crops. And as we were coming home through uh, western Tennessee and, and certainly into Arkansas, we saw something new to me being harvested, and that was cotton. Okay, being a western New York boy and then spending uh, years in Maryland, Delaware, you didn't see that. But we saw... Uh, trucks with these huge round bales of cotton. Uh, in 1940, a blues singer known as Lead Belly wrote a song that became popular by uh, Harry Belafonte and Elvis. It says, oh, when them cotton balls get rotten, you can't pick very much cotton. Well, cotton picking today is much different than when that song was written, praise the Lord, uh, because that too is, is done by machine. I know when I was about 12 or so, I went to pick cherries for a man up the road. And I picked and ate uh, all morning. And we were paid 15 cents for an eight-quart basket. And those baskets didn't get full very fast. Now, I know cherries also are harvested much differently today. You know, Western New York used to have some dairy farms in addition to Concord grapes. But now most of those pastures are grape fields, along with wine grapes. You know, the Lord really has given us so much to be thankful for. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you give us a great harvest of different things in different places. And Lord, help us to remember how blessed we are in that. So Lord, we just give you thanks for your word, uh, which needs to be the, the guide 
in our lives. And Lord, let us uh, think about what Jesus said, that the harvest was plenty and the workers are few. Lord, we know there needs to be more workers and we need to do our part in trying to um, harvest the workers and be more there to, to do the work of the Lord. So, Father, to ask your blessing as we listen to your word. And, Father, see what it is that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure that most of you have heard uh, a message on this parable before. And you're about to hear another. Okay, it may be different. Uh, I'm going to use passages from Matthew, Mark, and Luke and see how they line up and then give you my insight on those scriptures. Uh, it could be interesting or not. So let me start with Matthew 13. Uh, I'm going to start at the end of verse 3 and go through verse 9. <coughs> when Jesus tells us this, he said, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil is shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Others fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, some would say, you know, the farmer really needed to be more careful where he's sowing his seed, which is true. Uh, I'm sure seed then wasn't cheap, just like it is now. Uh, but let's take a look at what Mark and Luke have to say about this same passage. Well, Luke 8, 5, he had something that the other two did not. And talking about the seed on the path, he says, some fell along the path, it was trampled on, and the birds ate it. Now, that sounds right. If you put something in the path, it's going to get stepped on. Uh, so you need to, to be careful. Uh, next is the rocky places, which we all agree on. Uh, Matthew and Mark says that the seeds sprang up quickly. And Luke says it came up. Sounds like a corn I planted in Delaware. Okay, it sprang up quickly and got about knee high and just kind of quit growing. Uh, and that was emphasized by the fact that the farmer next to us had planted the field with corn, which just kept on growing and growing. And I wondered why his was growing and mine wasn't. But Luke says the plants withered because they had no moisture. Uh, not because of a lack of soil, but he says lack of moisture. Now we get to the thorns. They can be deadly to a crop. Later in Matthew, he gives us another of Jesus' parables about the wheats, wheat and the weeds in uh, Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Uh, here's kind of my version of that. It, it says that the farmer sowed good seed in the field, and during the night the enemy came and put weed seed in the field, 
And in verse 26 it says, When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Have you ever had that happen? Uh, me neither. Okay? But, I mean, the weeds always appear, no matter what. Uh, the servants went to the master to be sure he planted good seed and that he hadn't planted any weeds, and he knew that uh, his enemy had done this to him. So the servants asked, well, what do you want us to do? Do you, go, you want us to go and pull them up? And the master said, you know, don't pull them up, because if you pull them up, you'll pull up the wheat too. He said, just leave it until harvest. And then they were to collect the weeds and to burn them, and then to go ahead and harvest the wheat. Now, I'm not going to explain this parable. It's similar to our earlier one. So my point in sharing this parable, weeds cause a problem with good seeds. Then comes the last of the seed. Okay? And all three pretty much agree on what happened with the fourth seed. Uh, the good seed grows in good soil. And I can understand how the disciples had a hard time understanding, you know, what Jesus was talking about. You know, what's this about seed and farmers and some grow and some don't? And so Jesus knew that he needed to explain it to them. And he did so in Matthew 13, 18 to 23. Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. Okay, in Mark 4.13, Jesus uh, admonishes the disciples. He says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And I would have been right there with him saying, you know, Jesus, you're going to have to explain this to me because I really don't get it. Well, the big thing we need to understand before we go any further, before you commit your life to Christ and become a part of the family of God, you're part of Satan's family, and he does not want to lose you. He'll do whatever it takes to keep a hold of you, okay? And that's the first three seeds where Satan wins out. When we all probably know some of each of these folks, okay? So let's take a look at the seeds here individually. <clears throat> seed number one is the seed that is sown along the path or on the path. And those are the people that they hear the good news, but 
It doesn't penetrate their hearts, doesn't take root. And Satan is right there to welcome them back. That may be the person that, you know, you've been working with or your neighbor or your cousin or whoever. And, you know, you, you finally get them to go to church with you. And the pastor has a great message and, you know, ends with salvation and, and all. And, you know, this person, when you're done, say, well, that was really nice, but nah, I don't really think that's for me. Well, seed number two is the seed that's sown on the rocky ground. All three Gospels tell us that these are people that hear the message of Christ and are filled with joy. They get excited about what they heard. And, you know, that could be that same person that you take to church. And they come away saying, you know, wow, this is really great. You know, they, they participate in worship. They go out and they buy a Bible, you know, maybe a bumper sticker. But then trouble comes a-knocking at their door. Uh, it could be hard times, or it could be friends and relatives. And they bail out. You know, this Christian thing, eh, you know, it's good for you, but it's just it's really not working for me. Well, seed number three is the seed that's sown among the thorns. These are the ones that hear the word, and they may think it sounds good, but they just don't see how it's going to work in their lives. Why? Because they're more concerned about the things of the world. You know, they want to have fun. You know, if I do this Christian thing, you know, I, I got to quit doing all these things in my life. And, and so, you know, it just really isn't what I want. Uh, they want to, they want money. Okay. You know, well, I can't go to church with you because, you know, I, I got to work or I'm going to do whatever. And they like the stuff. And so they allow themselves to be choked by what the world is offering. And they just don't have time for the Lord in their life. Well, then seed number four is the seed that's sown on the good soil. These are the people that hear the word understand it and produce a crop of 160 or 30 times greater than the seed planted. Now, personally, I believe that there's way too few of those people. Now, one word in verse 23 kind of throws me, okay? And that's the word understand. All three gospels use this word. And I can say that there is so much the Word of God that I do not understand. Now, the Greek also means comprehend, and I can relate to that a little bit better. But yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown, wow, that's good evangelism. The message says, the seed cast on good soil is a person who hears and takes the news, and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Now, most of us know, or excuse me, most of us won't know this side of heaven, what impact we've had for Jesus, if any. Now, I want to take a different look at these passages. My understanding, 
Not that I'm disagreeing with Jesus. You know, I don't want to say, well, Jesus, you really didn't get it right there. No. Uh, I just look at things differently sometimes. The first three seeds that we read about and hear Jesus' explanation, they don't grow into what they could become. Okay, the seed on the path is a person that easily falls to Satan. The seed on the rocky ground, you know, they, they started out excited about Jesus, but they let Satan and the world drag him away. The seed scattered among thorns, giving uh, money and time to Jesus, it just doesn't sound as good as hanging out with the world. You know, they just feel like they're, they're better off, you know, just doing what they've been doing, you know, because if they do this Jesus thing, you know, their family's going to make fun of them, their friends are going to not want them hanging around with them. And so they say, you know, it's, it's just not worth what I have to give up to be who God says I need to be. As believers, we can often dismiss these people. We can just kind of write them off and say, you know, well, they'll, they'll never make a commitment to the Lord. You know, I need to spend my time with someone else who seems more serious about Jesus. Sometimes seeds that are planted in bad soil make it. When we were traveling through West Virginia, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, places where the highway had been cut through a lot of rock, a lot of stone. And, you know, you'd have almost a wall on each side of you as you're driving through. But something that I noticed, you know, countless times was that there were things growing out of these rocks. You know, just in the middle of this 15, 20 foot wall, there was a maybe four foot, six foot tree that is growing out of these rocks. Uh, most often they were like a, a pine tree of some kind, but you know, there they are just making the best of what they can making the best out of the soil that they had. Well, people are the same. Now, there's some that are really a lost cause, that you know, it's going to take someone different than me and maybe different than you to get to these people. And then there's some people that, you know, they, they just need a little fertilizer. They just need some help and, you know, Maybe they can become what the Lord needs them to become. A few nights ago, I went with uh, our two sons that, that live here and a friend and 1,800 other men uh, to a men's steak dinner at another church about 10, 15 miles from me. And... The dinner was great, $15 for a steak dinner. I mean, that alone was worth the night. But the speaker for that evening was Willie Robertson. Now, 
If you're not familiar with who Willie Robertson is, you've probably at least heard about the Duck Dynasty. And that's who he is. He was the Duck Commander. Well, in his talking about uh, different things, he said how we need to become Jesus guys. Oh, he was talking then about his father. <coughs> <coughs> And how his father, you know, early in his marriage, was not a good father, was not a good husband, drank a lot, got in fights, you know, was thrown in jail different times, and all in uh, Willie's parents had separated. And um, so he was relating that story to us. So someone had asked uh, this pastor to go and talk with Phil. Well, Phil lived about an hour away, and he was, uh, I guess, managing this bar. And the pastor goes in, and Phil's sitting there with a, a beer and a, a gun in his belt, and really didn't want to hear what this pastor had to say. But apparently he did listen to him. And the time came when Phil need, knew that he needed to change, you know, that everything in his life was going the wrong direction. Well, he became, you know, to the point of um, just making that decision. Am I going to change or am I going to continue to live this life? Well, he recalled what the pastor had to say, and he became a believer. Well, then... Willie said something that really hit home to me because Willie said, you know, if if Phil hadn't made this change, I wouldn't be standing here on the stage talking to you. You know, there wouldn't be a duck dynasty. You know, there there wouldn't be a lot of different things. You know, our family wouldn't be believers. Well, on my 60th birthday, I was presented a plaque by our children that, you know, talked about how I didn't grow up with the Lord, but because I had come to the Lord that each one of them had. And that really hit home to me that if I hadn't made that change, things would have been completely different. So even though we sometimes get planted in poor soil, we still may grow at some time, maybe not right away, but we can still have a time of growth. We can't look at someone and say, you know, they're just really not worth my time or that's too much effort. You know, I mean, everybody's talked to them and they don't change and all that. Eh, it's not going to do any good if I talk to them. Well, Paul and Silas didn't feel that way about the jailer in Acts 16. They could have said, you know, we're just out of here. But no, they knew that they needed to spend that time with the jailer. And the jailer and his family all came to the Lord. Philip didn't have that attitude about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Okay, the Lord said, go and talk to him. And Philip could have said, hey, you know, I don't have time, Lord. You know, I'm doing this or I'm going there. And so I, I really don't have the time. And Jesus didn't react that way with a Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Okay, 
Jesus was there resting. The woman came up and he began a conversation that led to the salvation for many people. So we need to make sure that we're giving people the time that the Lord would give them. I remember reading years ago about a man that was handing out tracts, I believe it was a bus station, uh, people getting on and off, and he was hand, handing out tracts to them. And he finally came to the point, he said, well, you know, I'm just wasting my time. This is useless. You know, nobody is going to come to the Lord because of me. He's, he's, you know, a lot of people just throwing the tracks away or, you know, won't take them. And, you know, well, then a missionary came to the church and just talked about his life. And he said, you know, I came to know Jesus Christ because of somebody that was at this bus station, train station, handing out tracks, and that saved my life. That gave me a whole new direction in life. So we never know the impact that we've had on someone. I've received inmates, emails from different ones that were uh, part of the youth group at some time or uh, come to church, you know, on a semi-regular basis, you know, and, you know, they've told me in the emails just um, because of things that I had done or things that I had said and how they had made a difference in their lives. And, you know, a couple of them that come to mind um, are very strong believers and very active in their churches. So we just never know if that seed we plant, even the seed in poor soil, uh, it may take root and become a seedling just like that and takes, takes root and grows and grows into a believer and maybe makes a real difference. There's a, a song by Ray Boltz 30 plus years ago that came to my mind as I was putting this together. And it may sound familiar to you. It says, I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing. Then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man who was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me. And then he said, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am the life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. Then another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am the life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. One by one they came. Far as the eyes could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, 
in heaven now proclaimed. And I know that up in heaven, you're not supposed to cry. But I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes. As Jesus took your hand and stood before the Lord, he said, My child, look around you. Great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am the life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. Let's pray. Father, those of us that know you, know what we should be doing, that we should be harvesters, uh, hoping to have uh, a harvest of 100 or 60 or 30 times ourselves and doing the work that you need us to do. Father, help us to get busy. Help us to do the work that you've called us to do because there's a lot of work that needs to be done because there's a great harvest out there. So many that have not heard your word that, that need to, they need it desperately in their lives because they're looking in all the wrong places and they're finding things that try to fill that gap that you've put in each one of us with the, the wrong things, with drugs or sex or money or stuff, whatever it may be, when we know that they need Jesus. So, Father, help us to do what you've called us to do. And, Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you and is listening to this, Lord, help them to know that hopefully somewhere along the line a seed has been planted and to go back to that planting and to see what it is that has been offered to them. And even though they've never made a decision for you, it's not too late. As long as we have breath, it's not too late. So Lord, help them to know that they need to pray this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for sending your Son. And Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to give me new life. Help me to believe this and to know that it's true and that you are not a way. You are the only way. In Jesus' name, amen.